This is the Austin ISD X podcast, X as an X official or unofficial. While we focus on the issues in the Austin Independent School District, the conversations we have about education are important to everyone. My name is Cuitlahuac Donatiu Guerra Mojarro, a brown Mexican immigrant, naturalized U.S. citizen. My pronouns are he, him, el, soy bilingue. Um, got a beautiful partner. We got three young children, uh, two of which are enrolled in Pecan Springs Elementary here in the neighborhood we live in in Northeast Austin. Been teaching 14 years in the classroom. I advocate against school closures, and I'm for the reinvestment in education as a public service accessible to all students. I'm Candace Hunter, and I'm a third-generation Black East Austinite. I'm a wife and a mom of a sixth grader at Lamar Fine Arts Academy and a senior at Northeast Early College High School. For 23 years, I've been an educator and a public school advocate, and since 2007, I have worked exclusively with Eastside Schools. Uh, my name is Allison Blake. I'm nine years old, and my dad is Bob Blake, and my mom is Tiffany Blake. And I'm not sure what my generation is. <laughs> and <laughs> and I have a four-year-old sister named Eliana. And I really like playing basketball. And I want to be a basketball player when I grow up. My name is Bavu Blakes. I am a scholar MC. I MC with the mind of a scholar. I'm a scholar with the mind of an MC. I work in education. I have a consulting company called Hip Hop Grew Up, and I also work in the social and emotional learning department of Austin ISD. And my goal is to be part of the Netflix of education, not the blockbuster. So <laughs> pray for me. Well, we're so excited to have you. Uh, and we're excited to talk about the book you wrote with your dad called Elle's Mirror. And so I guess my first question to you is, uh, why did you write this book? Um, I wrote Els, we wrote Els Mirror to teach people lessons. And not just children, but people of all ages and all kinds, like teachers and children. Bavu, same question to you. Why did you write the book? Uh, what connects right now in my mind is the concept of mentor texts, Right which says you can use a sentence, a paragraph, a page, a, a whole book, and you can teach people how to write using a mentor text for sure, right? That's one of the things I work with um, elementary school, or really just education in general around um, through some of my work independently as well as with this company called Avid. So I bring all that up to say, in spring of 2018, Elle's librarian would not give him the book he was asking for by name because of his age, because of his grade classification, which was kindergarten. Now, that same calendar year, he had read about 25, 30 of those books and was meeting the author, Mary Pope Osborne, who happened to be the best-selling kids chapter book author of all time. And they were like, wow, why'd you use this word? You mimicked every part of our process. You, you, you copied this to a T, uh, but you, you chose your own topic. Like he really wrote and illustrated a new version of this Magic Treehouse series, right? So that's, mm -hmm. he used it as a mentor text and people would have thought that I got him through it. I had nothing to do with it. But what it showed me and reminded me of is, wow, there's writers all over our family. And if this boy as a six-year-old was able to write this and as a seven-year-old 
was able to start receiving free books from Mary Pope Osborne's agent and them willing to clear out their tent just to meet with him, then me as the 21st century father, I need to put some things in place the best I can to facilitate him because he started mm-hmm. telling me, I, he says, I want to start selling books in, in uh, half price. I said, well, you can't sell Magic Treehouse books in half price. That's her stuff, right? So we had kind of this question of how do we adapt what he's doing authentically to what he needs. Three months after we met Mary Pope Osborne, it just popped into my head one day. It was exactly about two years ago. It was mid-January 2019. The whole Elle's Mirror concept comes into my head. I bring it home to my wife and son, and they say, yes. That even solves our treehouse problem. I was like, what do you mean? They said, well, you know, we said we couldn't steal the treehouse, but this mirror does the same thing. It can take you to another place. I was like, ah, you're right, right? So, again, if you're looking at a text and you understand the content and you're able to put the content aside and then understand the form or what devices are being used through the writing, like technically, all content aside, then you can take that and insert whatever story you're trying to tell. So, for example, if you look at Elle's Mirror, it has a lot structurally to do with the three little pigs, for example. It follows the same pattern as the three little pigs. I didn't know that when I was writing it, but it's true. Right. right? The, three, the three stories. Um, what three, what three about conflicts? Three. The action keeps rising through the three conflicts. But another thing is, if you look at that mirror, it's, it's doing a very similar thing to what the treehouse does in Magic Treehouse, right? Um, but the difference is it expands on that idea considerably and just one more fun. And so and so that's where it all came from, man. I, I see that. I see that. Uh, it just came from me trying to be a good dad. And also there's two things. There's, you know, you know the football dad who wanted to play football and so he, he tries to make his kid, you know, okay. puts all the pressure on his child. And a lot of times it works out that way where, you know, you see – so many NBA players who are the sons of other NBA players. Well, I, I never want to be like that dad that makes his son a rapper or makes his son, you know, whatever I am, a musician or whatever. But at the same time, you do want to use your your gifts and your, advanced, your, your, your knowledge, your experience and leverage it. So to me, it was a similar project of, OK, I've done albums and music and independent art in the past, but let me learn how to put out a book knowing that my son can use it, I can use it, my wife can use it, our whole family can use it, use this knowledge moving forward. And so that's how it started. And we went from start to finish to where, you know, we're working with a company on the other side of the world to manufacture books. And this thing is going crazy. That's the origin story. <laughs> wow. And um, just give me an idea of, of how you went about writing this book. Like, what was it like? How did you start? What was, what was the process like? How did you write this book, Allison? Okay. Well, we started with pre-writing, pre-writing, we started with pre-writing, which was making a bunch, making up a bunch of, of, um, problems they'll have and comparing them to other people's lives to be better from books. And then, and then dad wrote the whole book and then, um, and then we published it. Well, it's 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 very interesting that you your pre writing focused around some of the problems you uh, were were encountering because the stories in this book, um, the 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 problems that the main character faces, 
um, seem like they happened in real life. How many of the stories from your book actually happened to you, Ellison, in real life? Um, all of them. Wow. So some of those stories are kind of sad, but I think there's a lot of uplifting stories. And then you tried to connect your problems in your real life to historical figures, or how did you select or research the historical figures you included well, in the book? All of those figures were from books that I read. Like, okay. like Ron McNair was from Ron's Big Mission, and Pele was from a Pele book. And, and, what it was called. I think it just said Pele. Pele, uh huh. Babu, same question to you. Parent perspective in real life. What all? What all happened? A L comes home and says, "What's white?" Because we never really had that conversation, you know, about that. There's no white people at our house, so we <laughs> hadn't really discussed that. Um, but on the other hand, the way the school reacted really shocked me, because they acquitted the racist exclusion. So they said, well, you know, our policy is our children can be friends with whoever they want to be friends with. So they changed the topic of what really happened. They didn't take mm. it as seriously as I felt like they should have. They acquitted racism at a school that's probably 5% white at best. Um, but in my mind, this is how you continue to reproduce the same results within our society. When people show up to school trying on identities, certain identities are worthy of disruption. Mm. And I think an identity that says, I'm going to try on racist exclusion, exclusionary uh, practices, that needs to be disrupted. But they just acquitted it. They protected it. And I think the system does that in many ways. As far as the librarian, bless her heart, she died last year. Um. That was more of a one-off mistake where the system is leveling books to the point that people are thinking more about levels than they're thinking about readers. So, and then the last one where the teacher kicked him out of class for being too enthusiastic mm -hmm. about a subject that he's really into, she didn't have the tools to say, here, here's a parking lot for you, or here, we're going to collaborate somehow, or whatever. Something happened to where... She ended up kicking him out of class. But what really stood out about that one as a parent is that the teacher and the principal maintained that they didn't kick him out. They only wanted to call it a redirection. They said it was a redirection. I said, well, what happened if he came back to class? We tell him he's supposed to be in the other room. So then you kicked him out. Well, no, I didn't kick him out. And so and, and they also did like the, the tone police thing with me because, you know, the teacher was ignoring my emails for a couple of days. My wife, the Ph.D. of curriculum instruction, went to talk to the principal and he played her you know, like a poop, mm -hmm. right? So now we're both in there and I'm prepared to come in here and do some coaching. And about 30 minutes into the conversation at one point, the teacher said, so did you want to know what happened after ignoring my emails for a few days? And I said, sure, I'd like to know what happened. And they're like, whoa, 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 hey, your tone, it's kind of, uh, ooh, wah, wah, wah. And I was like, oh, y'all doing that now? I'm scary now. You know, so it was, though, that was the parent perspective on all of that. So I'm glad you asked that question because that's part of the backstory too is... I'm dealing with this as a parent. He's dealing with it as a child. And we have to use, you know, I mean, that's just, that's black identity. I was going to say, that's who we are. That's how, that's how it is. Yeah, that's how it is. You know, you got to take the guts of a pig and make a delicacy. Mm -hmm. In this book, um, 
you you meet these historical figures in the in a mirror right the the main character in the book l goes to the mirror and that's where he sees these historical figures so i guess my question to you is what does the mirror represent or why do your parents keep sending you to the mirror when l looks in the mirror he sees someone who looks like him who suffered the same problems as him who overcame the problems. So I think that something else that can do that is a book in your mind. So I think that that's what the mirror represents. And Elf parents keep sending him to the mirror because they know that, um, because they know that when he looks at himself, he sees a brave person who doesn't give up when he has a problem. Well, that's fantastic. I think it's a really strong message the literal device of self-reflection is a powerful tool. And I think you're right. There's lessons to be learned there as a, as a young person and as a parent, not to, you know, go ping pong back and forth, but I want to give you the same question. Uh, Bavu, what, what does the mirror represent to you? That it represents is it represents what <laughs> L was not receiving at school. That's why we never go to school in the book. The whole book is at home. Whatever the reader's um, relationship is to young children, it's going to cause them to reflect from that perspective. So, for example, two days ago, I used this book with a whole elementary school staff for a five-hour professional development session. And in those cases, I asked them what the mirror represents, and then I read an excerpt, and then they say all kinds of amazing things, and then we use the page with the lizard on it as a mentor text and they have to rewrite that page from the perspective Mm -hmm. of whatever you said the mirror represents if this child was receiving that at school how would this page go so that's really interesting um but i mean it could represent Mm -hmm. reflection it could represent seeing yourself in books you know the rudine sims bishop mirrors windows and glass doors a, gl- a glass sliding doors, which I'd never read until like a month ago, but has everything to do with this book, which is crazy. Um, it could represent uh, uh, just clarity. It could represent endurance. It could represent inspiration. It could represent letting children uh, process and solve their own problems. It represents a whole lot of things, man. And I really enjoy posing that question, which you know this because I'm sure I've sent you my reflection prompts for the book, but it's that question is really powerful because what I never hear in response to what does the mirror represent is something that's not beneficial to children. And so it ends up just being this list of ideas that can really help any learning space. You know, it could also just represent black and brown historical and cultural overlap, you know, word to the to the Olmec heads and 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 word to La Bamba and word to Gaspar Yanga, you know, like word to all mm-hmm. of that, word to uh, pre-Columbian uh, Mesoamerican civilizations and, you know, word to the, 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 the intersection of uh, what we call indigenous and what we call black or what we call brown that breaks down to indigenous and European and what we call black. So, um, that's a really powerful theme that a lot of people pull out too, is that he sees an Afro-Latino. He sees a brother from South Carolina and he sees a Mexican-American Cesar 
who he chose that person. I never would have chose Cesar. Ellison chose Cesar. But I was like, yeah, let's go with that. So if you're looking at it through a lens of black being separate from brown, the people in the mirror are split right down the middle. You have Pele, who's both, Ron, who's one, and Cesar, who's the other. So that's another thing that the mirror can represent. Is that enough answers? Because, I, I mean, I've got it. <laughs> yeah, we could. Hey, you asked the wrong guy that question, man. If you're thinking, <laughs> I wonder if I should get that book and you're listening, the answer is yes. I think it's super important for everybody to get this book in their hands, whether you have whether you are a black parent with black children or you are um, a parent with um, a black child. I think you need this book. It's super important. The next thing I want to go back to, Babu, is you mentioned windows and mirrors. And we have a really you gave us a really good explanation of mirror where this child is being able to see reflected in the mirror himself through these other people. Go back to explain window a little bit. Well, a window represents exposure. So if I'm watching Frozen, which I think is a beautiful series of movies, I got to look through the perspective of these. What are they? Norse? Is that what is that? Is that Norway? I got to look through the perspective of the little Norwegian girls or wherever Anna and Elsa are from. You know what I mean? I got to make meaning of that. So the idea is from Dr. Uh, from Rudine Sims Bishop back in 2009, I believe, is that literature for children impacts their worldview. So mm-hmm. they should see themselves and they should see others and there should be worlds that they can travel to all to make meaning of who they are in this world. And to add to what you said about black children, I would argue that white children this book is every bit as beneficial to them because otherwise who do they continue to see in their books? Mm, Agreed. Agreed. Because they are mirrored up in a Mm -hmm. sense, in a sense. The problem is a lot of those mirrored, a lot of those people in the mirror in the curriculum are people like Crockett, Bernie, Travis, Bowie, Austin, Houston, and all these other heroic slave owners who the teacher never tells me are slave owners, you know? And the district <laughs> continues to honor through the naming of our schools to this day, just because they didn't live long enough to be in the actual Confederate Army. Yeah, that's a whole other episode. I'll go there having experienced name change, and I get Travis. to see three other schools that get to carry their names. Yeah. Sure. And yeah, it's, it's the name change. You know, if you weren't a Confederate representative, you could be a forefather and you're good. We won't we won't do anything with your name. We'll continue to honor you because you didn't live long enough to be in the war. OK, so anyway, I say that because those are the heroes that you start getting presented from kindergarten. You know, Abe Lincoln is a hero. Columbus is a hero. Jefferson is a hero. Right. A flat one dimensional hero at that. And so. That's what that windows, mirrors and sliding glass doors is about, is exposure to a worldview, because we know that our literature is majority about white people is majority through a white lens, a white perspective. And that's why certain considerations are never made in terms of curriculum, especially if we just use the studies weekly from Utah, which is whack. Right. Yes. Um, now, if you got the right teacher, then they can do magic with that. But typically teachers are just trying to, you know do their job. And so you're not necessarily diving into no deep critical literacy. You just want children to do their work. 
Um, but I say all that to say, uh, show me your elementary social studies <laughs> curriculum yeah. instruction, and I will show you your educational equity. And this book um, is social and emotional learning and social studies and ELA and so many things kind of wrapped up in one. And then there's all these other layers of it that haven't even been released yet. Um, but I would say that it, it we were in a school last week in San Francisco, California, and it was definitely a school of Joneses, not others. In other words, it seemed to be an overwhelmingly uh, white audience, if not wealthy. I honestly don't know. But it definitely wasn't like the schools of the others, you know, full of black and brown children. Right. Um and that teacher was 30 plus years about to retire this year. And the reason that we ended up in their classroom is because one of their students showed up and read this book to the class. And then a bunch of San Francisco people started buying it. And so I, I tracked them down and said, what's going on out there? Why y'all, you know, what's the deal? And then they told me the story. And so we ended up in their classroom. But we've we have worked with, you know, majority white and wealthy schools before. And the response is every bit is engaging. So I just want to kind of caution against mm -hmm. a limitation mm -hmm. on the book, even though obviously it was totally written with a black boy in mind. What did you learn about writing and about being an author and about publishing while creating this book? Well, I learned that authors get a lot more money than I thought they did. And I learned that it takes a really long time to sell a book, like full somebody has to buy it and then it has to and then it has to get printed from india and then we have to put stickers on it and then we have to put them in packages and then we have to mail it it's it's quite a process uh there's some really excellent stickers and, and posters in your book uh, and and one of the stickers or at least one of the sayings in your book um goes like this it says um well it's 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 about lion history. And I guess I, I don't want to I'll say I'll say what, what, it, what the book writes about lion history, that until the lion writes history, the hunter will always be the hero. And so I guess I kind of wanted you as the author to talk about that. What 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 is lion history to you? I think lion history, history. is um, is fake history. No. I think lion history is real history, and hunter history is fake history. Well, well, tell me a little more about that, because the hunter for sure is a real person. So why is the hunter's history fake, or what makes the lion's history more real? Because the lion is the one who has more experience on what happened than the hunter, and the hunter can say whatever he wants about the lion, but the lion can't say anything because lions can't talk. Oh, yeah. Or, or maybe because the hunter kills a lion sometimes, right? That's yeah. that's kind of how I felt about it. OK, well, um, there is there's there's some a lot of interesting lessons about history. And I guess that's kind of how I want to segue into this next question for you, Ellison, about uh, what, what you how you learn history in school and how that affected you as a person and as an author. And what, what do you think about your history lessons at school? I think that they shouldn't be teaching the same person every year and that they should have a bigger variety of people. Yeah, that definitely is important, a big variety of people. Let me um let me give your dad Babu a chance here. Um 
And I really like the saying that you always say with Lions History. So, so uh, Bavu, what is Lions History? And and repeat that that phrase for me one more time. So the Lion writes history. The hunter will be the hero. Is that social studies and history is rooted in primary source material. So if you're always going off secondary source material and you don't have multiple perspectives of primary source material, if you don't have multiple frames of reference, then it's just hardcore colonized curriculum from that same old kind of hero perspective where it's giving you the same fashion of hero over and over again and ultimately reinforcing a narrative um, that just flat out um, disagrees with the world we live in. And what I mean by that is, what percentage of humans on earth are white? What percentage of humans on earth are wealthy? What percentage of humans on earth are European? What percentage of humans on earth speak English, right? And in all of these cases, we're talking about extreme minority uh, populations, right? On our earth. If you're talking white, you're talking extreme minority population. If you're talking wealthy, if you're talking college educated, and yet we tend to center these minority perspectives and these Eurocentric, you know, ideas of of of, of flat, one-dimensional heroes, instead of really leaning into that opportunity for mirrors, windows, sliding glass doors, and giving children a robust idea of the world we actually live in. It's not lion history, you know, and lion history is not intended to just be binary. It just brings to mind this concept that if only the hunter is allowed to tell the story, that's the only perspective you're going to get. Right. Don't just tell me Lincoln is a hero because he signed the Emancipation Proclamation when we can look up his words about black people or his words about his indifference to slavery, you know, um, or his words and actions towards Native American folks, uh, especially up there, the Lakota Sioux in that same time frame, ordering executions and such. So there's just so, you know, let's not just look at Mount Rushmore as a great monument by itself. Let's consider who these people are and what their values were. And therefore, we can look at who is heroic in the values of this concept of America. A lot of people take line history and they're like, well, they start feeling guilty or whatever and thinking that it's, you know, all I'm talking about is uh, decolonizing education, you know, and doing right by black people. I wish it was that simple. Lion history is talking about why do we always learn about Frederick Douglass and never learn about his wife, who was a free entrepreneur who bankrolled his freedom, his first wife. We never learn about her, you know. And why didn't he write about her? And why don't we know about because Ellison makes a point that every year they have MLK, Rosa Parks and Harriet Tubman, mm -hmm. who are amazing people, except that if you teach a one dimensional, flat, uh, sanitized, whitewashed version of them over and over again, mm -hmm. that's Hunter history. Why can't we learn about Claudette Colvin before uh uh, 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 what's her name? Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks. Why can't mm -hmm. we learn about who Rosa Parks really was and that she wasn't just some tired old lady on the bus because she wasn't an old lady at all? Why can't we learn about Claudette Colvin? Now we're going to bring it right back to line history in this mirror. 
Why can't we learn about Claudette Colvin telling us that when she was the original Rosa Parks, the reason that she couldn't get up her get out of her seat was because she felt like Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman were pushing her down into her seat. And so she couldn't get up. And they said, well, why did you feel like those particular ancestors were pushing you down in your seat? She said, because we were studying them in school. Bow in the mirror. Let me ask y'all, social studies teacher, how we should study current events in school. We're talking on the same weekend as the U.S. Senate just finished acquitting Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, of impeachment charges again. This stemming from the insurrection he incited on January 6th. And so as people who are taking in current events... And as people who, as teachers and educators who teach history to students, teach social studies to students, how do you feel, and this is a question for both of y'all, take it however order you want, how do you feel that January 6th and the subsequent events will be taught, should be taught in schools? Well, before uh, you before we go to January 6th, back up, you asked the question um, about elementary and that kind of stuff. I will tell you, as an eighth grade teacher, I had to unteach so much mm. I had to and what I mean by unteach is first of all I had kids coming to me thinking that Martin Luther King Jr. was the first black president like I'm like where, and, where did you get this slavery yes and and not more than one hmm. and then Abraham Lincoln I would get that well Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves no ma'am <laughs> no oh, no he ended slavery is what they said I was like no he ended slavery in confederate held territory and if he could have got around that he would have done it don't think about it as a freedom play for justice and equity. It was more mm -hmm. a military strategy. And so those are the kinds of things that not every teacher is out here teaching kids. And you want to talk about what's going to come? Here's my thing. I, I honestly, I want to be hopeful. I really do want to be hopeful. But I know that textbooks, even today in 21st century United States, textbooks are still big business. I know that Texas has a strong arm on textbooks and I know so go Texas, so go a lot of the South. And when I think about our state board of education and how they determine what's taught to our kids and I think about other state boards of education and how they decide the standards, I don't think we're going to get what we think we're going to get. I think we're going to get a protest of activists that wanted to support the president and not domestic terrorists that caused an insurrection and a failed coup. That's my two cents. Mr. Blakes, how will you teach January 6th if you were writing the curriculum? I think my question would probably be, where have we seen this before? What do you connect this to? What does this remind you of based mm -hmm. on prior learning and prior understanding of history? And don't talk for more than one minute without referring to some kind of text, whether it's a picture, whether it's another piece of information related to history, whether it's one of the documents we're using to, to look at January 6th. Um, but that would be that would be um, probably my, my first answer to what you're asking is if we zoom out and kind of look around, you know, in this short period of human history. You know, where for whatever reason, um, everything's described as, well, I don't know. Let me stop. Um, 
if we if we look at January 6th, what else does it remind us of? I think will be my starting point. Right off the bat, it reminds me of the Wilmington insurrection of uh, in North Carolina. I can't be sure what the year it was, but it was after Reconstruction had ended. There were uh, in Wilmington, the, the uh, elected leaders were black. Um, the white supremacists in the community were having it and they led themselves an insurrection where they, you know, overthrew the government. And so I think that's that's my first connection is, oh, it's happened before in the United States, but too often we don't learn about the Wilmington insurrection or the Wilmington massacre um, in North Carolina because that's black history. That's mm-hmm. not United States history, right? That's only during, that's only for February. So, Bavu, you know, on the topic of Black History Month, just give me a real quick lesson. Who Who is the founder and, and what do you see as the future of, of Black History Month? Carter G. Woodson um, would be disgusted that it still exists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he also gives a pretty nice template for lion history from a Black history perspective because he says this is not about... Um, Black history. It's about blacks in history, if I remember correctly, his words. Um, In other words, if we're teaching in a robust way that doesn't deny certain perspectives or segregate them into small pockets, then everyone can see their contributions to the whole. But to this day, that's not what's happening, because to this day, when February Mm -hmm. comes around, we want to bring in outside speakers, which he spoke against. We want to cash in with capitalist endeavors like the red, black, and green Apple Watch or uh, American Outfitters HBCU t-shirts, which he spoke against. He said students should be deciding what to present in a black history observation. I mean, black history, yeah, um, observation, a History Week or History Month, they should be deciding what is important to present based on the learning they've been doing all year round. None of those things that he originally proposed from like nearly 100 years ago, none of those things are what's come of it. It's just the status quo all over again. It's continuing to have black history segregated. And specifically in February, you need to learn about those same three people with a really watered down version. Those palpable black people. But they're not palpable black people. Mm. If you know, I just read some good stuff about MLK. Yes, they always, I feel like mm, during this whole day. summer of turbulence and just us saying no more, we had enough. People kept throwing MLK up like, oh, MLK this and oh, MLK that. It's like if you really knew about him, you would, you, you don't know him. You know, the, like you said, the one dimensional side that, that you were taught in school, this peaceful yeah. protester but about the guy who was the practical joker and the guy who liked to play cards, we don't get that MLK. Yeah, and we don't get the MLK, you know, in coalition with so many other people that were not like him or the MLK that rose up as an appointed leader from a larger leadership culture, right? Or the MLK who wasn't popular with the average white person or the average Average black black person, person Yes. during that time. Martin Luther King dropped so many books and speeches and I just learned about the speech he gave in 1957 at the Lincoln Memorial, like way before I have a dream. 
that had some really interesting things to say because he had just gotten back from a trip to Africa. I was also intrigued to know when the lady showed up at the book mm. signing in New York. Yeah, I've been in his heart way before he was famous. So he was kicking up dust way before that, you know, and there's so many things to learn about MLK, but they keep playing that same little speech, man. With all due respect. So much so that we give an award out for it every year. So let me, let me, let me see if y'all can, let me see if y'all can get with my history, right? Cause I'm an immigrant. And when we came to this country, we had no clue who MLK was. And so my parents valued education to the point that the very first time I didn't have school, I think I was like a third grade. I didn't have school because of Martin Luther King Day. They were kind of like shocked. Like, wait, what? Why didn't you go today? Because of this person? Okay, well, that means you're going to learn about this person. And so they, I think my dad gave me a book. It was like, you don't have school today, but you don't get to do anything that you want to do on your day off other than read this book first. And so I had to read a, like a 200 page chapter page, chapter book page, 200 page chapter book on Martin Luther King. And, and I wasn't happy about it because I felt like it was a chore that my dad was making me do. But I, it's something I remember because every Martin Luther King day, that's something that we would do at our house. We would study Martin Luther King. And if people ask me how they should observe Martin Luther King, I would say, don't do service because uh, I'm going to bust out a quote from the speech he gave about the Vietnam War to concerned clergymen or to clergymen and other concerned parties where, you know, it's 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 more than just being on the Jericho Road and and giving out, you know, um, giving a handout out. It's, you should be asking why the Jericho Road is so systematically opposed to people and oppressive of people. So so that's something that I learned about um, reading that speech with my son this year. And, you know, we pick a speech and we study it. And that, it kind of stood out to me because I always rubbed me the wrong way that Martin Luther King Day became about service. But, but I'm, what I'm trying to connect is what, what my dad did for me, I try to do with my son, who's 11. On Martin Luther King Day, uh, we're going to study what Martin Luther King said. And I think you, Mr. Blakes, Bavu, have given people something to study and look for. Now, how can uh, listeners find the book? What do people have to do to find the book uh, and, and buy the book uh, for themselves? E L apostrophe S mirror. And you can get it from lsmirror.com. You can get it from hiphopgrewup.com. Or you can just Google it. So it's waiting for you. No matter, no matter whether you remember what I'm saying or not, as long as you know the title, L's Mirror, or you just or it just completely breaks down and all you know is Bavu book, you'll find it that way too. <laughs> so uh yeah thanks to thanks to metadata and all of those things ellison i guess my my last um question for you as well is just kind of gives you an opportunity to speak about whatever it is that you want to speak about you you are our co-host today so happy to have you talk about your book and the excellent work you did and some of your motivations and lessons behind it so this is our chance just to hear on whatever topic you want to hear about. Uh, is there anything in particular you want to share with our audience that's uh, important to you? About the book or about anything? It's, it's about anything, the book or anything. It's up to you. Well, the illustrator of the book is a table, which was somebody who died at, met in Atlanta when he was at an at a meeting or something. Wait, he wasn't at a meeting. 
Well, he found an illustrator, and then when we got the idea to write a book, he called the illustrator back, and then he told the illustrator what he planned to do, and then the illustrator agreed. So that's how we got an illustrator for the book. That's some excellent extra information. I really appreciate you shouting out the illustrator of the book. I know you worked hard as the author, and I'm glad that you included the illustrator uh, uh, name in our in our broadcast today. Appreciate that, Bavu. Anything else? Um, what else do we want to talk about? Um, who? Lord have mercy. Um, how is public school going to be here in twenty years? What are you What are you worried about? Are you worried it's not going to be here? So, what's the difference between Blockbuster and Netflix? Let's think about the experience. First of all, late fees and rewind fees, based on the standard expectations. Mm. <laughs> so, when your whole model revolves around standard expectations, and you get to hold all the privilege, and I, as the customer, got to drive up there, pick through your limited selection, drive home, play it on my own player, drive it back. That's my third driving trip. And if it's not rewound, you charge me extra. And if I'm late, according to when you needed it back, you can charge me extra. But if I know there's a video out, but you don't have it in stock, I can't charge you a late fee because you don't have it available to me yet. Right. Now, if we set standard expectations like okay. we would with grade level expectations. Like the star test. Where our state expectation, for example, is only that uh half the amount of black and brown children are on grade level compared to the amount of uh, Asian and white students, according to our closing the gap standards issued by the TEA each year. Um, so that's institutional racism embedded into our expectations, but I'm getting too deep. What I'm really trying to say is if our, if our expectations are tuned to a standard or an average that people are not standard or average in the first place, then what happens is if you have an Ellison who's advanced, then he gets charged rewind fees, right? Because the curriculum instruction plan is not really designed to keep up with him except when he's in GT pullout. Everything else is all served according to an average and whether or not he knows it is of no consequence. He just needs to be compliant and, and you know, quiet and just kind of deal with it, whether he gets differentiation or not, unless there's someone outside of the school environment to come have his back and advocate for him. But otherwise, you just take what you get. So he's getting rewind fees because he's not getting an appropriate academic challenge. But if I show up and I don't read on grade level, even though I was past kindergarten, first, second, third, all the way through eighth grade, not reading on grade level, but they kept passing me up, then I'm getting assessed late fees for being behind because I have more testing, more intervention and more of a hard time believing in myself because I fail everything. And it's treated as if it's my fault or my family's fault. Are you with me? Okay. So late fees and rewind fees are what killed Blockbuster based on standard expectations. But Netflix, Candace, what happens as soon as you choose Netflix? What's the first thing you see on your screen? I get my profile. No, you get everybody's profile. I get every, that's right. I get everybody's profile. So as soon as you choose Netflix, they immediately acknowledge your greater family and community context, don't they? They do. And then after that, you choose and you let them know exactly who you are, right? Mm -hmm. And then what happens? Then they say they give me, I guess, what I've shown them I wanted or kind of like tailored to my taste. 
So they're tailoring to your taste, your background. And not only do they not charge rewind fees, they keep the tapes, quote unquote, paused for you in case you want to revisit them. Mm -hmm. Oh, I do get that. You know, why don't you watch it again? (laughs) Exactly. So in other words, they are centering your experience, your taste, your preferences, your background knowledge, your history. And they're setting up a whole algorithm to uh, appeal to it. I would argue that humans in a school system could appeal to that algorithm better than a computer ever could if it was the Netflix of education mm-hmm. and not Blockbuster. You hear me, Queet? So when you think about responsiveness to who people are and how they show up and how they identify and how they see the world, et cetera, as opposed to standard expectations, See Teeks tuned tune to Star driving uh, people's uh, uh, curricular plan. As long as you are tuning to the standard of an average that doesn't exist, as opposed to tuning to the standard of student experience, that's the truest standard you'll ever find anyway. As long as you are choosing Blockbuster over Netflix, where are we going to be in 20 years? I said this all the time is that we're expecting kids to have 21st century skills, but we're using the 19th century model. We're not even using a 20th century model. We're using a 19th century model. And I, I am very active. And just like you are in my children's education, I know what's going on in that classroom from day to day. But for a lot of people, that's not possible. And what happens is, is at the end of it, it's like, okay, my kid missed a bunch. And not just my kid missed a bunch, my kid missed a bunch about themselves. And I really think that it's more important than ever before when we look at this um, equity assessment or audit or whatever you want to call it that's coming up is that one of the things we look at is how we are preparing our teachers and who is standing in front of our kids. Because this is a hard Mm. saying and I'm a teacher and I know exactly what I'm saying. Some of the people that are standing in front of our kids don't need to be there. But Candace. Didn't we already do that citywide? Didn't we already put out recommendations four or five years ago about systemic racism, institutional racism, systemic inequity? Didn't we have a, a straight up educational report and other sectors yep. of what was going on in our city many years ago? Yep. So is that audit like just because you do an audit or assessment and you have a report, does that require you to respond to it in any way? It, it really doesn't. But um, my hope is that so much hype right, is built around this, that those recommendations can't be swept under the carpet, like all of the things, like the promise to not have new teachers on the east side, remember? That was done. And now what we got, that was like, that lasted one year, like not even one calendar year, one school year, like nine months. And we went Mm -hmm. right back to doing that. And I'm just hoping. when mm -hmm, When it comes to educational equity, right, do we have a pattern of honoring the promises that we made? Ooh, we're getting deep. I'm trying to get shallow. <laughs> of do we do what we say we're going to do when it comes to <laughs> this type of thing? Do we have a pattern of doing that? Because when you talk about those parents, right, who may not be able to do every bit of advocating and, and investigating and exploring because they're not you. Isn't that whose children Get the late fees? Yep. Every time. So what I'm asking is, 
have we established a pattern yet of doing something else? It's not in the same kids keep getting caught. We've established a pattern of, of, of making reports and recommendations. We do that, you know, and I'm a part of that system. But what I'm asking is, have we even started to establish a pattern of responding to that data? No, and I'm on my third superintendent. I'm just asking. I'm lying. I'm on my fourth superintendent. And I'm just asking <laughs> because um, back to this blockbuster Netflix analogy. How are we even here in 20 years? Hmm. Well said. Thank you, Bavu. Thank you, Ellison. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with us learning more about education. And as always, stay tuned for our hot take on the latest education news and our reflection on our work. We'd love to hear from you about our podcast. You can find us across all social media and podcast platforms at AISDXP. To support the work we do, you can become a patron at patreon.com AISDXP. To bring others into the conversation, please remember to like, follow, and share.